Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. I'm Brian Tripp, your host again this week, and we have a great guest for you today from the Penn State men's basketball team, Ishan Jagiasi. You're going to love his journey here to Happy Valley. He's obviously a key member of the Penn State men's basketball team, but his story is so much more than that. He was the first member of his family to be born here in America, and during his childhood, in fact, his early teens, he was the number one ranked player in the world in the game of Pokemon. A U.S. national champion, the game took him all across the country. He was described as a prodigy of the sport. And how did he balance that while he was still heavily involved in music? And obviously basketball, but Pokemon became such a big part of his life. And he had so many outstanding accomplishments playing that game as well. And obviously has gone on to have a terrific basketball career and is a huge part of the Penn State men's basketball program. So just a really unique story, a fun story to share with Ishan this week, and we can't wait to bring it to you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Let's Go State. No problem. Thank you for having me. So take me back. How did you end up on the Penn State basketball team? Tell us a little bit about your journey to kick off the podcast. So after my sophomore year at Alabama, I was in the transfer portal, and I was trying to find a new school to go to. And... Basically, I was in conversation with my high school coaches at Huntington Prep, and they let me know with the new coaching staff at Penn State that it would be a good fit for me because they know that coaching staff pretty well. Why has it been a good fit now that you've gotten to know the coaching staff even better after a year plus in the program? There's just so much history because my high school team was at, in Huntington, West Virginia. They practiced at the Marshall Recreation Center. Mm-hmm. You know, Coach Ock, Coach uh, Shrewsbury, and even uh, someone else on our staff, uh, Coach Trey, they all were at Marshall University, so the ties were always there. And then when I got here, you know, everyone on the staff was cool. Everyone was very accepting, so it was really easy to make that transition. Huntington Prep, Miles Bridges, right? Andrew Wiggins, Thomas Bryant. Those are some pretty big names coming out of there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a powerhouse program. Our whole team was 15 Division One guys, 13 of which ended up going to high major schools. So there was really no off days, no off like plays, nothing. You had to compete every day. So who was on your team when you were there? So my team was A.J. Hogard, who's at Michigan State, Jamin Brakefield, who went to Duke, who's now at uh, Ole Miss. You had Josh Primo, who's on the Spurs now, J.T. Thor, who's on the Hornets now, and then Zach Loveday, who won a national championship at Baylor, so really loaded roster. And you're back in Pennsylvania. So you grew up, now I know you've bounced around just a little bit, but always like in the Philly area, Wilmington, Delaware. How did you end up at Huntington Prep then from Wilmington, Delaware? So I had been playing uh, AAU, and I was trying to find another school to go to for exposure because in, in Wilmington, a lot of times when you're 6'1 or 6'2, you're actually a forward and not a guard. So I knew that wouldn't look great for college recruitment, so I knew I had to make that transition. And Coach uh, Bruce at Huntington Prep told me, he's like, we can't make any guarantees. You know, we have a lot of Division One players here, but you can come here and compete for a spot. So that's took the opportunity so you went there and competed for a spot what did you learn about yourself then what have you learned about yourself as you've gone through this college process and now being a part of the team at Penn State uh I definitely learned that it's a lot basketball is a lot about confidence because I feel like I can be on the court with anyone at any given moment 
And I think me going to Huntington Prep definitely proved that for me mentally. So I just know I can make an impact at any level on any team. Let's go back a little bit because you're the first member of your family to be born mm-hmm. in America. Describe what it was like growing up. When did your family, like, give us a little bit of a background on your family. So my family, my mom and my dad, they're both from a small town called Alasnungar. It's a small town outside of the major city of Mumbai in India. Mm-hmm. All of my cousins, all of my aunts, uncles, everyone was born in India. They came over here to make a better life, you know, didn't have much money, came over here for opportunity. And when they came here, you know, they had me in 2001 and I was the first person in my family's history to be born here. You make me feel old right now. <laughs> I was born in 1988, <laughs> 80s child. That's a long time ago. Being born in America, what were some of the things that your family went through while you were growing up that were unique experiences for the first mm-hmm. time? I would say it would be just bouncing from job to job because obviously my mom was in medical and my dad was in engineering, but with the way the degrees work in India and the way they work here, there was a transitional period there, especially, you know, when you're going through the process of having a green card and stuff like that. So my mom being like a concierge at like a front desk of a hotel, my dad, you know, helping with uh, traffic lights and stuff like that. So it was really like a humbling experience to see them work two, three jobs to help provide for me. Which is stuff that they are way overqualified for, right? Yeah. Um, for you growing up, I see not only did you play basketball, but guitar, mm-hmm. violin. Yes. And you know we're going to talk about Pokemon. Yes. How did you get into the guitar, violin, and Pokemon? Because usually mm-hmm. the stereotype is when you hear those things, you don't think of someone who's a Division One college basketball yeah. player then as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I was growing up, I grew up uh, – in an area in Wilmington, Delaware, where a lot of like my influences were from music and sports. So I'd say for me, hip hop music was always a big influence for me. And I was always into like the instrumentation. So I I always like loved instruments and wanted to know how to make music. So who were your influences? You know, we have to ask that. Yeah. So my biggest influences from a music perspective, obviously, you know, Meek Mill being from Philadelphia, I'd say Jay-Z, Kanye West, Biggie, Nas, Lil Wayne, 50 Cent, even and then from the more like singing side, you know, you had Ed Sheeran, people like that. So I was just always heavily influenced by music. So I wanted to learn how to play it. Are you still involved in music today? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like occasional little locker room freestyle here and there. <laughs> uh, I'll get into it. So you're coming on this podcast saying that you do a locker room freestyle and you have a microphone in front of your face. You oh, know man. what the next question is. Hey, I ain't got my phone with me, but if that beat, you know, if the beat's there, I'm there. The beat's there, I can make something happen. <laughs> What did you like more, the guitar or the violin? Uh, when did you give those up? So, if ever. For I haven't played since about 10th grade cuz when I started transferring from basketball, you know, I was I was actually in the band from for like band or orchestra from 1st grade to 10th grade, but then as I started transferring to these basketball schools, they don't really have those type programs at those schools, so I stopped in 10th grade, but I would definitely say the guitar and uh, the bass were my favorite. I was reading an article. Your mom said that you were playing Pokemon at least five hours a day. How did mm-hmm. you find time for this other way, stuff? Way more than five. <laughs> way more than five. So were you hiding in the bedroom playing longer than they even expected? So what I would do is I'd come home from school like after practice, and then it'd probably be like five, five, six, something like that. I'd probably play till like midnight, one, and then do my homework for like an hour or two, go to sleep at three, wake up at seven, go back at it again every day. It's pretty much the schedule. So at 13 years old, you were the U.S. national champion of Pokemon. What did it take to get to that point? I think it took 
work ethic, resilience, confidence. I think a lot. I think it really taught me a lot about myself and how if you apply yourself to anything, you can see success. Which obviously has carried over your basketball career as well. But I was reading, you were described as a prodigy of the sport of Pokemon. How did you get into it? Take me to, back to when you were six years old and you first started playing. You were the national champion at age 13 mm. in Pokemon. That's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. So basically, when I, I used to watch the TV show when mm. I was growing up. And always, I was always been into cards and card probability. Like I used to play poker back when uh, it was actually legal to play online. And then obviously, you know, you have to be 21. So I, it's not like I could play any, at a casino or anything or make any type of money. So mm -hmm. I had to look for a different type of uh, like outlet for me to play card games, which is something I've always enjoyed. And uh, Pokemon, you know, I've heard I was just collecting the cards. I never got into the competitive. And then eventually I'm like, it just makes sense to try it out. And then I was just naturally good at it. How did you get into the competitive? Give us a little background on what the Pokemon scene is like as you're growing up there, mm -hmm. because most of our audience has no idea like what yeah. goes into this and, and the card industry and the card gaming industry. Yeah, so basically most people just collect them, like you know, like their kids will buy packs and have like the cards or whatever. But I, I've always been a super competitive person, so I, I wanted to find out, you know, how can I use this to either make money or get in some type of competition. So I just went on Google, I typed in, I'm like, where are the tournaments? And then, you know, I showed up to a tournament. They're like, uh, well, you have to know how to play. And then just gradually from there, you know, going to like little like local meetings, just learning how to play, playing against people that were better than me. Just keep losing until you learn how to win. What's the difference between collecting or playing the Pokemon Go where everyone was running out through mm -hmm. the middle of the streets a couple of years ago yeah. and playing the app on their phone and actually playing the game to get to a national championship level. I'd say with collecting and with Pokemon Go, a lot of that is just for like casual. It's not very competitive. It's just more so just for fun and for the look part. I'd say the card game and competing aspect is more like a sport, like a basketball, because you have to apply strategy, mental toughness, physical toughness, and then you just have to be ready to compete. Where all did it take you? Man, uh, I would say you have everywhere across the East Coast. Then I got to go to Hawaii for the World Championships in 2012. I went to Vancouver for the World Championships in 2013. Went to Fort, Fort Wayne, Indiana, San Diego, Seattle. It, you were number one in the world? Yeah, two years. How many national championships you win in the U.S.? Uh, I, I won one national championship, got top 16 at, at two more. What kind of media attention were you getting when you were number one in the world? At that point social media wasn't as huge in 2014 as it is now like it was just mostly like twitter and like a lot facebook was really big for pokemon at the time so i remember i would get a lot of like attention on facebook and twitter but i think i'm glad i got that early in life so i was you know able to handle it later in life you're obviously able to meet a lot of people from this country but what about from all over the world what, what's that pokemon network like? yeah i mean i knew i knew a lot of people from japan china sweden I mean, you can count Canada, I guess. Obviously, a lot of people in Canada, <laughs> a lot of people throughout Europe. But d yeah, definitely just having connections in other areas across the world is really important. And now that you're where you are now, what, 20, 21, yeah. 21 years old, mm -hmm. when you reflect on it, do you think back as to what that journey was like for you? Like, that's really, number one, it's an amazing accomplishment. But Thank number you. two, that's a, a very unique, unique journey and opportunities that Pokemon mm -hmm. created for you. Yeah. So when you reflect on it, what are some of the things that you think about from those times when you were having that great experience? Yeah, it was just, it's one of those things where like you can't appreciate it in the moment because like you don't realize. You're too young to know, yeah, right? You're just like, you're too young. And at the same time, you're just so focused that you don't have time to like really grasp. Like I don't really have a lot of like 
memory. I just remember just doing, like, it's kind of like with basketball. Like, when I talk to kids now, they're always like, wow, it's so amazing you got there. But to me, you know, I'm nowhere close to where I'm going to be or how I feel like I, how far I can go. What were those tournaments and events like? And for our audience, compare it to basketball. Because yeah. how do those two things correlate? And at least what would that comparison be? Yeah, I would say the comparison would be there's a lot of small tournaments that take place throughout the year. So you can compare that to high school and like AAU, like uh, like sessions. And then you obviously have the bigger tournaments, which you can compare it to like EYBL, Pete Jam and stuff, Adidas Nationals Finals and stuff like that. But it's it's pretty much like the same. You know, you just go, you go around, you compete, you meet people. And uh, just based on how good you are is where you get ranked, per se. Your family enjoy going to the Pokemon tournaments more or your basketball games? Well, because I read that you became a Pokemon family, even though you're the only one that played. Yeah. So I, I would say they enjoyed, I think they enjoyed basketball more, actually. Because just like with Pokemon, like they see like, they saw a lot of winning. But with basketball, they saw like locations like they, like they never would have thought they would have seen. Like I remember one time at Huntington Prep, we played a scrimmage at unc chapel hill and they were just like it's amazing how like we were able to go inside the stadium and visit and ev see everything at unc through all the experiences you've had throughout your life how does that set you up for future success because you've done so many great things on mm -hmm. the basketball court obviously but everything else that you've accomplished as well so far i think it has shown me like a lot of people don't get the chance to win at stuff until later in life so i think i've learned how to handle the ups and the downs of like going through a successful career path. Like I think I know how to handle criticism at this point. I think I know like the work ethic it takes to be successful at anything. So I think it set me up pretty good for the future. Sign more autographs as a Pokemon player or during your basketball Pokemon career? by far. <laughs> how many? Oh man. It was like, have you changed your signature over the years? No, as no, it no. stayed the same from you the time My, you were 11 to now. So we, like, I don't know if they still teach cursive, but they, they don't anymore. Yeah, Believe it or not, yeah, they yeah, don't anymore. Yeah, I doubt they do, but my, I still, I don't know. I still don't know if my signature's right, but I will <laughs> say it's been the same. I think it's right though. I, I now, don't know. Now, what letters do you think might be wrong? I think I, it might be that my eye might be bad. The I. So you're thinking it's instead of an I, it would be like a B, right? Cause yeah. they're pretty similar yeah i don't know i might be messing up the i and the j i think the rest of them are fine though but my initials might be a little eh. i we're gonna have to go back to like <laughs> what i think that's second and third I, yeah i stopped cursive in thir third grade yeah you start it in first and second uh -huh. you learn it in third and then you uh, and then you just never use it you never if use i didn't it. sign autographs i would never use it completely shifting gears yeah. but you have a real close-knit basketball team right now what makes this group such a special group to be around on a daily basis? I would say our chemistry off the court as well as on the court. So I would say if you compare it to t uh, teams of the past, mm -hmm. I would say this year's team, we're really close and we really, everyone knows how to play basketball at a high level. Like I was more worried with like the disparity because, you know, you have so many older people and then you have five freshmen coming yep. in. I didn't know like how, I've never been on a team where like the age disparity was like that large. Like you're talking about probably like 23 to 17, like a six year disparity. So that's a big difference, huge difference, especially for chemistry. But I feel like as soon as the freshman got here, I feel like we clicked right away. How do you go about building that chemistry? I feel like it's more of a natural thing. Like you can try to force it. Like you can try to have like out of like out of practice meetings, like hang out, like go to the movies. But I feel like a lot of it for most teams that I've been on, it's, it's either there or it's not. And it's there with this team. Where does it come from? Any idea? I would just say, just where people are from too. Like, like if you have a lot of people from a 
type of area, you know, you can have things to relate to if y'all know, like, the same people, language, stuff like that. But, like, our chemistry in the locker room, like, it's not, like, two to three guys hang out here, two to three guys hang out there. It's, like, we're, everything we do is as a team. What's your role in all that? I would say my role is, you know, just to keep the locker room together, keep the energy high on the court, whether that's, you know, like, cheering my teammates on, whether that's, you know, setting up stuff to do off the field. But I think my role is just to do whatever I can to help us win. I'm going to set this up in a part A and a part B. We'll go first part here. Mm -hmm. For you, how do you make the most of your individual opportunity for the upcoming season? Whatever I have to do to help us win. So if, if I have to just be on the bench, clap, let people know about defensive assignments when that's on my side of the field, if I you know can help the coaching staff you know recruit for the future, if I can you know make an impact on the court, you know, whatever it takes, whether that's scout team, whether that's actually on in a game, whatever I have to do, I'm willing to do that. For your team, Part B, mm-hmm. what does your team have to do between now and the start of the season so you guys are ready to go and you can make the most of a great opportunity as a team that you have? Well, I would say we have to play more fluidly on offense and in comparison to last year, you know, not force so many shots at the end of the shot clock and just have the same defensive toughness we had last year. You've had a lot of great experiences. You've Mm. been all over the country. You've been at another school. What makes Penn State the right place for you? And what makes the Penn State experience so great? There's no other way for me to explain it except for like it feels like home. Like there's no really other way I can explain it. Like I've I've never been to a school since I've left home where I feel like I'm back in Wilmington, Delaware. Like I really feel like I know everyone here. I feel like I've had great experiences here. You know, I feel love from the fans, feel love from the coaching staff. I really can't complain about anything. Which is crazy when you think about it because there's, what, 40,000-plus students on campus, more mm-hmm. than 800 student-athletes in the athletic department. But you get to know people. Yeah. It feels like family. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing. I've heard that from so many other people here at Penn State. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. Really appreciate no it. No problem. Thank you for having me. So all those amazing accomplishments and a great guest this week on the podcast. He also has... By the way, around 325,000 followers on TikTok. Didn't even get into that on the podcast. He's a big TikTok guy as well. But thanks for Ishan for his time and for sharing his story with us and with you. And also thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard here today, make sure you rate, subscribe, follow our podcast, share it with your family and friends all across the globe. I know they would love to hear our stories that we're sharing with you each and every week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in again to Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.